in. There we go. I'm on now. Not that I really need a mic, but for everybody online, I'm sure you're glad I have it on. Uh, hey, I am super excited to continue our series together called Meet the Real Jesus. I'm so, so excited about the message that God has put on my heart to share with you guys. But before we jump into this, uh, there's something I just want to I want to say. I want to say a big thank you to everybody that came out this week and volunteered with us on Thursday. We were able to partner with a, a fantastic nonprofit here in Hattiesburg called Extra Table. And with them, we were able to feed a bunch of hungry families here in the Hattiesburg a- area. We passed out about 850 boxes of food and about 2,000 gallons of milk. So thank you so much to everybody that was a part of that. We really appreciate that. We here at Elevate, I want to just say this. We believe that, that the, the church is not the building you're sitting in right now. The church is not something you, you go to. The church is not that. We are the church. Okay? We are the church. And we believe as the church that as Jesus' followers, we're called to model our lives after his. And this means that we're called to actually seek the welfare of the city that God has put us in and to go out and be the hands and the feet of Jesus and to show people the good news of who God is, not just tell people the good news of who God is. And so... We are going to plan to do a lot more of this kind of stuff in the coming weeks and months and years as God continues to use Elevate, and I believe that uh, we're going to just see God open doors right and left for us as we do that. So if you weren't able to be a part of it this week, but you're like, man, I really love what you guys are doing with these, these outreach projects and with all this kind of stuff. Next time you're doing it, I want to be a part of it. Then I want you guys to get a hold of us. You can get a hold of me afterwards or Pastor Eric in the back there. And either one of us, we would love to just connect you with, with our volunteers that uh, go out and do service in the community whenever we have an opportunity. So, again, thank you to everybody that was able to be a part of it. And uh, I'm, I'm sure that you were blessed as much as the people that we were uh, helping uh, during that time. Do you mind if I'm in a prayer? Can we pray again before we get into the Word of God? Is that okay? Yeah? There's not, not such a thing as too much prayer, right? That's a word of prayer. Father God, I, I, I am so excited about what you're doing here at Elevate, about what you're doing in my own life, about what you're doing in the lives of all the people that are a part of this, this beautifully diverse group of, of Jesus followers that you have gathered together here in Hattiesburg, Mississippi in 2020. And God, I am so excited for the future that you have in store for us, and I'm excited now as we, Jesus, we're, we're just continuing our study in seeing who you really are and your personality and the beauty that can help us just love you more and desire to follow in your footsteps as you've called us to do. So now as we open your word for the next few moments, I pray that we would have clear hearts, clear minds, and that you would speak loud and clear into each and every heart, myself included. We pray in your name. Amen. Well, hey guys, you know, we've been talking over the past several weeks about a lot of stuff uh, to do with God, and and we've been talking about the playfulness of of Jesus, we've been talking about his fierce intentionality, his personality, and all these different aspects of who God is, and today I want to look at his humanity, more human than us is what I've entitled this, and I just want to start by saying this, all this stuff that we've been talking about for the past several weeks, uh, if we're not careful, it can actually become so almost like noble or, or, or lofty that it actually ends up having the opposite effect that we're intending it to have, and we could actually begin to lose Jesus a little bit through that process. It's like almost like he starts to drift back again heavenward and distance himself from us into the rafters and back into the stained glass windows in all the cathedrals and churches around the world. 
something when this happens, this is, this is what I want to say, when this happens to us, something has crept into our assumptions about Jesus that makes it almost impossible, very difficult to relate to him, not to mention love him. And I say crept because uh, in my experience, it's never a conscious decision. I, I think very few of the things that shape our, our actual convictions are ever conscious decisions. They're more a slow creep in our life. Are you with me? I feel that very strongly. And ironically, I think much of the creeping that happens comes actually as a result of our attempts to love and, and revere and respect Jesus. But it has crept in and has done damage to our perception of him and our experience of him. It's the notion that, that maybe you've heard this before, that Jesus was really almost kind of like pretending when he presented himself. As, if you're here today, you're worship, right? We who worship Jesus... And I, I believe that if you're here today, you're worshiping Jesus with us. We who worship Jesus, we hold fast to the belief that he was and he is God. And most Christians would say, amen, Jesus is God, right? That, that, that's what it means to be a Christian. The heroic actions and the miraculous powers of Jesus' life actually attest to it. So when we read in the, in the Bible what you can be referred to maybe as his more human moments, we feel that Jesus was sort of like, kind of cheating. You ever feel that? Like he's kind of cheating a little bit. He's not really human. I mean, like, it's Jesus, right? And so with a nod and a wink, we're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. We know it's like Einstein dropping in to take the first grade math quiz. You know, Mozart's playing a measure in the kindergarten, you know, bell choir. I mean, after all, we're talking about Jesus here. The guy that walked on water, he raised Lazarus from the dead. Like, like he never broke a sweat, right? Well, if that's the case, what do, you, what do you make of that terrible sweat he had in Gethsemane? It says, they went to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. And he took with him Peter and James and John and began to be greatly distressed and troubled. And he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch. And going a little farther, he fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. This is found in the book of Mark and the book of Luke. It adds another uh, verse here. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling to the ground. Falling to the ground. Did you catch that there? Deeply distressed, overwhelmed with sorrow, and anguished. That doesn't sound like somebody that's cheating to me. He begs his father with tears that this awful cup might be taken from him. Please, there's got to be some other way. He doesn't want to do it. In this moment, Jesus does not want to do it. He's, he's sweating blood from his tormented brow. He pleads with his father, and then he pleads a second time, and then a third time. Does this sound like Einstein adding two plus two? I mean, if Jesus was actually faking it, if he was, then Gethsemane was a terrible, terrible farce. Friends, I'm here to tell you today that he was human. Really, really human. 
Maybe you remember the story of Jesus in the wilderness. The Bible says that at the end of those 40 days of fasting, in Luke chapter 4, it says he was hungry. He was hungry. In Matthew 21, it tells us that one morning on his way into Jerusalem, he goes to have a look at a fig tree because guess what? He was hungry. Or there's the story of the woman at the well. Maybe you remember this one. And it's about noon when a Samaritan woman came to draw water and Jesus said to her, hey, will you give me a drink? I'm thirsty. Will you give me a drink? I'm thirsty. And you're like, wait a second. Jesus was hungry? He was tired? He was thirsty? Yep. That's what the Bible says. Jesus was human. The Gospels are filled with beautiful and haunting descriptions of the humanity of Jesus. One of the most poignant takes place when the report reaches him that his cousin John has been beheaded. His cousin John the Baptist was beheaded. And look what it says in Matthew 14. It says, but when Herod's birthday came, the daughter of Herodias danced before the company and pleased Herod so that he promised with an oath to give her whatever she might ask. Prompted by her mother, she said, give me the head of John the Baptist here on a platter. And the king was sorry, but because of his oaths and his guests, he commanded it to be given. He sent and had John beheaded in the prison. And his head was brought on a platter and given to the girl, and she brought it to her mother. Now watch this. And his disciples came and took the body and buried it, and they went and told Jesus. I want you to catch Jesus' reaction here. Now when Jesus heard this, he withdrew from there in a boat to a desolate place by himself. But when the crowds heard it, they followed him on foot from the towns. Jesus takes the boat, he leaves the crowd behind, and he sails to some place so he can be alone. He's got to be alone. The man who has unceasingly offered himself to others needs to get away. He, he, he needs room to grieve, just like you and I would. I cannot say this more emphatically. Life affected Jesus. Life affected Jesus. Brennan Manning says this. He says, we have spread so many ashes over the historical Jesus that we scarcely feel the glow of his presence anymore. He is a man in a way that we have forgotten men can be. Truthful, blunt, emotional, non-manipulative, sensitive, compassionate. Friends, Jesus never did anything half-heartedly. When he embraced our humanity, he didn't pull a fast one by making a show of it. He embraced it so fully and so totally that Jesus was actually able to die. Now, have you ever thought about this one? The Bible says that God is immortal. Immortality by essence means that you can't die. And in, so in order for God to sacrifice himself on our behalf, it was necessary for him to fully become human so that he was able to make that sacrifice. Are you following me? He took it fully. And Jesus did this. It'll do your heart good to discover that Jesus shares in your humanity. He was fully human. Now, I'm, I'm sure, you know, we've talked about, you know, just some of the, the things in, in nature and in life. I'm sure the animals made Jesus laugh. Right? I'm sure the Pharisees made him furious. He felt joy. He felt weakness. He felt sorrow. I, I, I really believe this. The more we can grasp his humanity, the more we will find someone we can approach, someone that we can know, someone we can love, and we can trust, and we can adore. 
We can just find this in this. Now, before we move on, I want to just clarify that I believe what the Bible teaches that Jesus was fully God and fully human. Fully God and fully human, okay? Now, there have been a number of kind of, in my opinion, ridiculous books over the centuries that have suggested that Jesus was only a human being and he was not God, okay? And I just want to say that is completely and totally false. That is, that is, that is, that is not true whatsoever. Jesus was fully God, has always been God, but at the same time, he was also fully 100% a human. But it's, I think in, if you react to the opposite of that, you know, there's these people that say he was just human. But if you go the other direction, I think this is false reaction as well. To, to discredit his humanity and to brush it aside to, to just focus on his being divine or his being God. He is not Mozart playing with the kindergartners. Maybe the, the religious fog at this moment is actually working against you, and you're thinking to yourself, man, this is disrespectful. It sounds almost like heresy, but, but, but now Jesus is actually in heaven, so it doesn't matter, right? It doesn't matter anymore. I think it does, and here's why. Jesus was tired. He was hungry. He was thirsty because he took on our humanity. I want you to read carefully these several verses here. John chapter 1, verse 14, the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and dwelt among us. Hebrews 2, verse 14, since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things. He partook of the same things. And then this one, uh, from the message paraphrase, Philippians chapter 2, not at all. When the time came, he set aside the privileges of deity and took on the status of a slave, became human. Having become human, he stayed human. It was an incredibly humbling process. He didn't claim special privileges. Instead, he lived a selfless, obedient life and then died a selfless, obedient death and the worst kind of death at that, a crucifixion. I, went, I mentioned to you guys a couple of weeks ago my frustration at all the works of art that kind of depict the baby Jesus as almost like a super baby. You know, and it's just like he's like, like fully intelligent as an as a, a adult, you know. It didn't upset me, I don't think, because the art was done badly, because they're very beautiful, okay? It's not like it's bad art, okay? This is not an art taste thing, right? But, but I, I, it's almost like I'm upset by it because they, they were so careful in doing it, it, it makes it difficult and almost impossible when you look at that stuff to remember that Jesus was human. Jesus was human. The incarnation. We just read it in, in John chapter 1 there. The incarnation, Jesus putting on flesh and moving into the neighborhood, as one version puts it. Jesus doing this is one of the greatest treasures of our faith. The world keeps pushing God away, falling more, feeling more comfortable with, with him up in the heavens somewhere than being close to us. It's almost like they would rather have him at a distance. You know, if he's over there, you know, it's, it's not too personal. But in the coming of Jesus, God draws near. God draws near, incredibly near. He takes on our humanity. I mean, how could he possibly get any closer? Jesus is nursing at Mary's breast. I love this passage from Chesterton that reflects on the birth of Jesus. He says, the strange kings fade into a far country, and the mountains resound no more with the feet of the shepherds. And only the night and the cavern lie in fold upon fold over something more human than humanity. More human than humanity. I want you to savor that for a moment. The manger that Mary used as a bassinet 
held something more human than humanity. More human than humanity. Do you think of Jesus as the most human human being that ever lived? Have you ever thought about him that way? It's true, though. The, the ravages of sin, neglect, abuse, and a thousand addictions have less, left all of us a shadow of what we were meant to be as human beings. Jesus is humanity in its truest form. This is what he is. His favorite title for himself, by the way, is what? It's the Son of Man. Not the Son of God. That he was referred to as that, but his favorite title for himself is the Son of Man. You know, we've, we've looked together at nature, and we've seen reflected there his playfulness and his, his fierce intention. So do you see his humanity expressed in creation as well? Well, look in the mirror. Look in the mirror, right? You are the only thing in this world that is said to have been created directly in his image. Directly in his image. Your humanity is a reflection of Jesus' humanity. Did you know that? Jesus feels, you feel. Jesus longs, you long. Jesus weeps, you weep. Jesus laughs, you laugh. It's a pretty staggering thought, isn't it? It's a pretty staggering thought. Too much too much stuff, you know, heaven, heavenward stuff. It just pushes Jesus away. But his humanity brings him close. It brings him close. It also helps us to recover his captivating personality in the Gospels. You know, I've always wondered why Jesus, having healed someone, would immediately tell them to keep quiet about it. Right? After giving two blind men perfect vision, Matthew 9, verse 30 you know, he says, it's, Jesus sternly warned them, see that no one knows about it, right? Warn them sternly. Now, why is that? It is the same thing after healing a man of leprosy, Mark 1. He says, see that you say nothing to anyone, but go show yourself to the priest. And it goes on and tells the instruction there. A strong warning again. But is it, isn't the point to get the word out? Like, like I mean, I mean he, wouldn't, wouldn't miracles be just the thing to accomplish this? These guys that he just healed, they're now poster children, living proof of Jesus' claims. Maybe he's using reverse psychology on them, you know? Knowing the more you insist people don't talk about what happened, the more they actually will. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Anybody relate to that? No? Man, you guys are asleep today. I don't know if it's the mass or what, but give me a little something. Come on. I know I'm pale, but... Is this merely his technique to get the press going? I mean, is this, is this what he's doing? It certainly has that effect, doesn't it? Because the two blind men, I don't know if you caught this, verse 31, they went away and spread his fame throughout all that district. Immediately after he says, don't do it, they go. The healed leper, Luke 145, and um, that is the wrong verse. <laughs> I, I'm sorry, I apologize for that. But he does the same thing. He does the same thing. He runs away, and he tells everybody about just what happened to him, right? So th here, here's the thing. Mark goes on to explain why Jesus did this. And this is fascinating. Mark chapter 1. He says, uh, see that you, you, 
uh, say nothing to anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer for yourself what Moses commanded for a proof to them. But he went out and began to talk freely about it and to spread the news so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town, but was out in desolate places and people were coming to him from every quarter. Now, when I read this, I, 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 there was a light bulb moment for me and I said, I get it now. I understand this, right? It's a sad, like, editorial footnote here, but Jesus can't even get a moment's rest anymore. He can't rest. The paparazzi are everywhere, right? He doesn't, he doesn't mind a night of prayer on the mountain, but never to be able to get a bed and a hot meal. Like, like he's on the run now, right? Jesus' strong warnings reveal his strong desires, very human desires. Please don't tell anybody about this. He doesn't want to be forced to sleep in the woods. Are you with me? Are you following what I'm seeing here? Are you seeing the same thing? Jesus enjoyed people. Very much so. Not, I can't say all people enjoy people because there are some people who don't. But Jesus did, right? He enjoyed people. Many stories, in fact, find him feasting with a very rowdy crowd. And he invited 12 men to spend day and night with him for three years. Three years. His longing... You know, you know, for, it intensifies to a crescendo in Gethsemane. Matthew chapter 26, check this out. And taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful even to death. Remain here and watch with me. Jesus is essentially saying to them, hey, don't leave me alone. Don't leave me alone. Not, not now. How human is this right here in this moment? Yes, Jesus knew loneliness. Jesus knew loneliness. He's not pretending. The one who created the human heart, whose own heart was so kind and so vast, this man felt deeply. He who created love and friendship actually longed for it. Now, there are Christians today who try to say that God does not want anything from us other than our obedience. To suggest Anything else, they say, diminishes the all-sufficiency of God. But is this what you see in Gethsemane? A God who couldn't care less whether his friends stay or go? That's not what I see here. Stay here and keep watch with me. This is not a superhero who is steeled and impervious to the human condition. It's far from it. And loneliness, I think, is something that we all share with him. We all share with him. Thomas Wolfe wrote this. He says, the whole conviction of my life now rests upon the belief that loneliness, far from being a rare and curious phenomenon, peculiar to myself and to a few other solitary men, is the central and inevitable fact of human existence. To be missed or, or, or misunderstood, to be judged unfairly, to be wanted for what you can do rather than who you are, to go on for years without being appreciated or even being unknown by those who are actually closest to you. Can anybody relate to that today? Being unknown by those who are actually closest to you. You can hear the pain of being missed in the midst of Jesus' famous words in John 14, where he says this, he says, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. And you know the way to where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you're going. How can we know the way? 
Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it's enough for us. Jesus said to him, and this, this gets me, man. He says, have I been with you so long? The people closest to me don't even know me. Have I been with you so long, and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Here at the very moment, Jesus is doing all he can to comfort his disciples and to prepare them for his coming execution. This is what he's doing. And he not only assures them all will be well, but he promises that their companionship will continue for eternity. It will go on. And in this beautiful moment of relational assurance, his closest disciple Disciples betray how little they know about Jesus. And you can see that it hurts him. Don't you know me? Don't you know me? Even after I've been with you guys for so long, and you still don't know me? I mean, I, I, I can hear the pain in his voice. You could see the pain in his eyes. Imagine living your entire life in a world where the people closest to you don't get you. Do you live in that world? Jesus understands. Jesus understands. He gets you. Now, I don't believe that Jesus was always lonely, by the way. There are moments uh, of remarkable tenderness recorded in the Gospels. John leaning on his chest at their last supper together. Mary washing his feet with, with, with her tears and then wiping them with her hair. And I'm sure there were many more than that. All, all that time, walking the roads with the guys, all the campfires they had together, I do not believe that his loneliness defined him. Are you with me? It did not define him, even though he experienced it. But it does define many of us. Jesus is an essentially happy man. He loves life. I mean, how could the joy of the Lord be our strength if the Lord is seldom joyful? Right? How could that be if he's never joyful? You might think that, that keeping Jesus all mysterious and heavenly is the right thing to do. But I want you to consider this. When he came, when God came, he came as he is presented to us in the Gospels. This is how he chose to come. Very much human, a person, a man with a very distinct personality. This is the primary witness we have of God, recorded for everybody who would know him. This is how God chooses to make himself known to us. This is his doing, not ours. This is the self that he presents to us. Eugene Peterson, he notes this. He says, Jesus was so obviously human, but this has never been an easy truth for people to swallow. <laughs> Maybe you're with understanding that. There are always, he goes on and says, there are always plenty of people walking around who will have none of this particularity. Human ordinariness. Jesus was an ordinary human, right? He goes on and says, you know, talk of bodily fluids and raw emotions of anger and disgust and fatigue and loneliness. Perhaps you thought that Gethsemane was the only time he ever sweated. Or, or maybe you just assumed his sweat smells like lilies. I don't know. And you know, you know, let me, pet peeve of mine. What's up with the snowy white robe? Every movie I see of Jesus, I see him be like, every movie I see, he's got this immaculate white robe. Like, he never got dirty? I mean, they were not paved roads. He was walking for miles. 
Like, what is this image of Jesus that we're trying to portray? This is not the Gospels. This is not what they portray. So what are we trying to do there to, to push this humanity to the side? You shall know them by your fruit, the Bible says. Jesus' humanity will cause you to fall in love with him even more. I can attest to this personally. It will cause you to fall in love with him even more. His personality, his remarkable qualities will burst with color and brilliance like fireworks because of his humanity. Think about it. The man of sorrows had a sense of humor. The prince of peace could work himself into a lather. I think as a carpenter, he, he probably worked very hard in the Nazareth heat. And he got dirty, and he sweated, and he was tired, and he was hungry. This, this wonderful counselor could be downright ironic. The man on mission had time to sit and chat. He had time to sit and chat. I think far from actually diminishing Jesus, his humanity and understanding that will only quicken your worship and it will deepen your intimacy with Jesus. I believe this with all my heart. I love his playfulness. I love his courage. I love in Matthew 11 how he, he shows some exasperation. He says, but to what shall I compare this generation? It is like children sitting in the marketplaces and calling to their playmates. We played the flute for you and you did not dance. We sang a dirge and you did not mourn. For John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say he has a demon. The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet wisdom is justified by her deeds. I mean, uh, Jesus, and we, I read this passage, you got like, Jesus is shaking his head and rolling his eyes right now. He's like, man, like, what is it with you people? You're, you're, you're impossible. John the Baptist fasted, and you thought he was possessed by a demon. I came eating and drinking, and you think I'm an alcoholic and a pig. Like, there's no place in you people. What is going on here? You know, I can see it in the way he's expressing himself. Or, how about this? Jesus' surprise. Did you know Jesus could get surprised? Or did you think he, he knew everything, right? Matthew chapter 8, this is interesting. It says, when he had entered Capernaum, a centurion came forward to him, appealing to him. Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, suffering terribly. And he said to him, I will come and heal him. But the centurion replied, Lord, I'm not worthy to have you come under my roof, but only say the word and my servant will be healed. For I too am a man under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he marveled and said to those following him, truly I tell you, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. You know, this word marveled here, right? In some translations, it has this as astonished or amazed. Matthew uses the exact same word a few paragraphs later to describe the disciples' slack-jawed reaction when Jesus shut down the storm. And they went and woke him, saying, Save us, Lord, we are perishing. And he said to them, Why are you afraid, O you of little faith? Then he rose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. And the men, what's that word there? Marveled. Same word we just read at Jesus' surprise at the faith of the centurion. It's the same Greek word. They marveled saying, what sort of man is this that even wins and see obey him? Okay? So I want, you to, I want you to grasp this. Amazed. Astonished. Did you know that Jesus could be amazed? Like think about this, right? Mark uses the word to describe Jesus' amazement at the Jews' unbelief. He was amazed at their lack of faith, it says. The religious glaze sometimes over Jesus, or, or maybe it's not over Jesus, it's over our hearts, is so thick at times that we have to keep striking it over and over and over again. Jesus was human. 
Jesus was a man. Jesus' humanity was real. He wasn't pretending. Those nails actually hurt. I can sense the religious fog trying one more time to convince you otherwise. Ah, yes, but he's not human now. He's at the right hand of the Father in glory. Well, as I'm closing here, I I have one more thing I want to say. The disciples were tempted to think the same thing. Late on Sunday, after being resurrected that morning, the two guys, remember from the road on Emmaus, when Jesus shows up to them and he's talking to them, and he showed them who he was, they go rushing back over to town to tell the others nearby they have seen Jesus alive. And I want to pick up the story there, Luke 24. As they were talking about these things, Jesus stood among them and said to them, peace to you. Now, peace to you, by the way, was a common greeting back then. It would be like us saying, hey, what's up? Okay? So he pops in and says this. But they were startled and frightened, thought they saw a spirit. And he said to them, why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, have you anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it, and he ate it before them. Have you missed the story? This is a a very funny moment. The pair from the Emmaus Road, they're in the middle of telling this incredible story when Jesus just, boop, appears in the room, right? Out of nowhere. He's just there. As to illustrate everything that they've just said, yep, that was me, yep, I did just like that, yep, yep, yep. And suddenly he's just standing there and he says, peace be to you, right? He, he, he pops in and he's like, hi. Like, you know, it's just like his, his, his timing here and, and it's the most fantastic thing in the world happening right in front of their eyes and, and just the, 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 the understatement here by Jesus. Again, we see this over and over after his resurrection. It's just funny. Like he just, he just pops in like, hey guys, what's up? It's me, Right? The disciples, they're, they're stupefied. They're, they're dumbfounded. They don't believe he's real. And so what's he do? He says, look at my hands, look at my feet. And he's clearly showing them the, the holes, the nails pierced. And they still think he's a ghost. And finally he asks, he says, is there anything here to eat? Is there anything here to eat? Like a neighbor just dropping by for some chips. And he, he, he takes the, the broiled fish and he, he chews it carefully in front of them. He swallows it. And he waits a few seconds for everyone to actually digest the lesson that he just showed them. You've got to love this moment. And you've got to love the point that he's making here. And I don't want you to miss this. Jesus raised is still Jesus. Jesus raised is still Jesus. A human being, a man, flesh and bones and all. Jesus was more human than humanity. More human than humanity. His was the most human 
face of all. And I believe if we can understand this and we can grasp this and we can wrestle with this one, it's going to open up wonders for you in your journey and your connection to him. You know what the Bible tells us? It says in the book of Hebrews that we have a high priest who can understand and empathize with everything we're going through. And I want to tell you today that it's not as though when Jesus is empathizing, he's recalling a memory from a long time ago, over 2,000 years, when he was a human. Because he still is a human. When he took on humanity, it was not a temporary thing. It was for eternity. Jesus is forever and always going to be human. Are you with me? Jesus, he succeeded where Adam failed. And he is now the representative of the entire human race and will forever hold human form as do we. I can't think of a more personal, beautiful thing to understand about God than that he was willing to forever confine himself to a physical human body and to have to go through and deal with all the different things that we do. But it was the only way. And he did it for you and he did it for me. And Jesus is in heaven right now. He's alive. Amen? He's alive. And when you pray, Jesus knows what you're going through. If you're sad, if you're lonely, if you're depressed, if you have anxiety, if you're struggling with doubts and fears or whatever, Jesus knows because he's been there and he's had the same feelings and the same mental things going on in his head. The Bible says he was tempted in every way we were. He knows. He knows you. And he wants you to know him. Pray with me. Father God, man, it is, I don't even have words, God. I'm at a loss of words to express my gratitude for you doing what you did, Jesus. It wasn't, it wasn't like you, you set aside your, your, your divinity. You're still God. You always have been. But when you became a human being, Jesus, Send your son Jesus for us. Not temporarily, but forever. Jesus, we love you so much. I pray through this study that we will grow closer to you. We will love you more. We will be drawn to you knowing that we have a God 
who went out of his way to draw close to us even when we felt distant from you. We pray all this in the beautiful name of Jesus.